Hi again, folks, and welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Zivna Kajimam again. Thanks for joining us today, and a big thank you to all of you who joined us for our webinar last night. It was great talking shop with you all. Some really good questions were asked and answered, and we actually managed to stick to the schedule, for which I'm very proud of myself, to be honest. Unfortunately, however, and this time I swear it isn't my fault, the webinar software had some issues about 20 minutes in, uh, kicked all participants out, and although it then let everyone log in again, and it claimed that it was recording again, uh, that didn't actually happen beyond that point, which I only found out at the very end, of course. But have no fear, I'm currently in the process of re-recording my narration, and I will put it together with a screen capture of the presentation and files, and the internet website we looked at, etc., and the participants really only typed in questions in any case. I don't actually allow them to speak during the webinar. Um, I'm a tyrant like that. So most of these questions are written down and I should be able to recreate the entire webinar for you. And I will have it published and ready for viewing and listening next week, I hope. So no harm done. And now that I'll also know how to actually use that screen uh, capture software properly myself, we won't be relying on the webinar cloud software for recording it next time. So things are getting smoother and it just takes a bit of time and practice for me to get there. So apologies again for the delay and thank you for bearing with me. Okay, so as promised last week, we've got another interview for you today. Uh, again, on the uh, buyer's agent uh, scheme topic uh, theme. This time it's actually our first time interviewing an existing client. So not a recording of a business call with a potential client, but an actual first-hand account of people who've actually pulled the trigger, purchased some properties, and started building their portfolio here in Japan. And in this case, through us, a buyer's agent, and they spoke to me about their own personal history, their investment journey, and just their own experience, not just here in Japan, but investing in other places as well. So a really fascinating conversation, I thought at least. And to be honest, this particular couple, Mira and Julian, are actually among our favorite clients, not just because they're lovely people, which you'll probably be able to hear yourselves, um, but also because they make cool-headed, logical decisions. They know how to evaluate risk and deal very well. Hardly any guidance from us required with them, except, of course, on uh, particular topics related to the specific market here in Japan and you know, due diligence practices on Japanese properties that we recommend and so forth. But aside from that, they're really just a pleasure to work with. So here's a recording of our conversation from a couple of weeks ago. Enjoy, and I'll see you again on the other side. Okay, Mira, Julian, thank you so much for joining us today. It's great having you on the show. Thanks for having us. Yes, that's great. Um, so be before we actually talk business and property and all of that, um, can you maybe tell our listeners a little bit about your own uh, personal stories? Like where are you from originally? Where are you living now? Um, maybe how you met, if you don't mind, and you know what you're doing in life aside from property investment, that kind of thing. Yeah, so my name is Julian. I'm from France originally. But I've lived and worked overseas for about 20 years. So um, the US, uh, the UK for a little while, Japan for about three years, Australia for 10 years. And it's been funny with the last uh, five years in between Germany and Australia. And then actually since last year, we've been living in Austria in, in Vienna, uh, where I work at the university. Yeah. And my name is Mira. I'm what they call Indonesian born Chinese, if that makes sense. But I left Indonesia many years ago for study and then for work. So I have lived in Singapore, Australia, US, Japan, and then finally became Australian citizen about eight years ago. I also live in Germany with Julian, but only for a year. 
and then back to Sydney for work. So we alternated between the two countries for a while. And I rejoined him in Austria last year. And to answer your question, we met in Sydney. Actually, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. So you, you're um, basically global grasshoppers. Cool. Global okay. citizens, yes. <laughs> okay, so... Um, Austria? I've, I've only ever visited Austria once. Oh, no, maybe twice, I think. And I don't remember much aside from really good desserts. Um, and I'm guessing probably many of our listeners um, are probably not very familiar with the country as well. So maybe can you tell us a little bit of what it's like living in Austria? I mean, obviously, in normal days, not, not now. But actually, also, if you could delve into how things are looking there now. Austria is um, it's pretty good generally. I like the people, they're very friendly and life is, uh, let's say, a little bit more affordable than places like Sydney, Australia. So Vienna is definitely uh, one of the best European capital that you'd have. So again, as attractive as other European capitals, but life is a lot cheaper, like, uh, London, than, better than London or Paris or Berlin. So um, I find it it's, it's a very easy place to adapt to. The People, as I said, very friendly. It's close to the Alps, it's close to Tyrol. So if you're into skiing or you know mountain climbing and all these sorts of things, it's it's a very cool place to live. And you're also right in the center of the, of Europe, so you can fly anywhere you want within two or three hours. So you know when we lived in Sydney, it took forever to fly somewhere, and here that you're in Vienna, you can just be uh, anywhere you want. So in in no time. So it's it's really cool. At the moment, uh, I suppose we. We're entering in our fee for our six week of confinement. Actually, we sort of lost track of time. So it's a bit, life is rather different, let's say. But um, it's not been too bad because the government was very proactive and uh, acted very quickly to take the, the right measures. So we've been confined, stuck at home, trying to work there, um, going out as little as possible. But uh, I think life will soon return to normal. The shops are going, uh, beginning to just reopen slowly. So. Hopefully, in a matter of, let's say, a few weeks or a couple of months, we should be back to life as normal. And you could come and visit us anytime you want, especially when oh. summer comes. Oh, man, the, the amount of places that I've got on my bucket list now, it seems like the, the more you stay at home, the more you want to get out, right? Yes. That's right. Okay, so, so you're both, um, in, in normal times, you're both employed, you're working, um, hopefully making you know reasonable, comfortable salaries. Uh, so how did you get around to deciding to invest in the first place? And then how did you end up um, uh, setting your sights on real estate uh, generally or and on Japan specifically? Yeah, well, we kind of got into property investment a little bit by chance, to be honest. So it's not something we had planned for in the first place. We lived in Sydney for a long time and we saved up money to buy a property. And then you just know what it's like in Sydney, just... Prices kept rising and rising over the last uh, 15 years. Oh, God, yeah. And in the end, we kind of thought, well, we're never going to buy anything. or We're never going to afford to buy something um, decent. So we kind of stayed out of, the, uh, out of the property market and just amassed a lot of capital on the side to, to invest for another day. And uh, long story short, we happened to be in Athens. I, I, I go to Athens in Greece regularly for, for work. And we, in 2018, we had the opportunity of buying an apartment there in central Athens, very closely, not far from the Parthenon. And it was a bargain, 65,000 euro at the time. So I think in USD, that was about uh, $80,000, $80, 106, 100, 
about 100k AUD. And uh, so we had the opportunity, we bought it, we snatched it from the market actually, and we've been renting it as a as short term for, let's say, holiday makers or professionals who work in Athens. And that's giving us quite a good return, 7 or 8% on average if we have a good year. So it's much better than any kind of investment, uh, you know, you'd find out there. And, uh, and it's a tangible asset for us. Very little volatility is likely to, to gain some, um, some um, value on the long term and provides you with rental income. So it's been, it's been perfect for us. But um, I suppose that was kind of an eye-opener because um, it got us thinking a lot about our financial goals and our life objectives. And uh, especially about developing what you know a lot of people call uh, talk about financial independence or financial resilience, and so our professional sort of background, we're very exposed to government uh, policies and government spending. So I depend on a lot of research funding. Mira depends on infrastructure development. So it was a good opportunity for us to have a bit of a sort extra source of income on the side that can you know provide you with a added income when when things are not as as good and um, also soon you've been going we've gone through economic crisis so um, I mean for instance Mira's experienced the uh, 1998 Asian financial crisis of course the GFC we had to survive this uh, was in Greece when they had the, you know the major euro crisis so I saw the devastating effects of that and of course now we have the, the coronavirus upon us and it's going to have enormous impact so it got us all thinking, you know, hard and long about uh, what's the best possible way to not only preserve our capital, but also grow it and expand on the long term. And, um, you know, looking at, diff at different uh, available asset classes is kind of like, well, if you can get into real estate, have a good piece of real estate in a good location, you know, bringing a relatively stable income, that's definitely an asset you want to own. And... Um, yeah, and then we got into a Japanese property market, I, I suppose, because we found it particularly attractive, and it's the second largest property market in the world. And of course, Japan is, I, I think, it's one of the most civilized countries in the world. I agree. <laughs> you know, very stable politically, very secure. I mean, very crime safe. So, and the property is really giving you a much better yield than um, what you'd find in Europe or later on Australia. I don't know if you can get any yield out of properties in Australia. Um, so it's just a very attractive market and um, that's been, you know, on, on the whole, it's uh, comparatively to a low risk, a high return kind of investment for us. So, so that, that's that, our investment strategy, I suppose, in, in a nutshell. We're not trying to, you know, become super duper rich. It's just preserving what we've earned, what we've saved on the side and just being uh, wise and, and, and safe with it and, you know, getting in property is just, uh, it's just one of the wise things you have to do. Mm. And that's, um, I think that's, that's definitely the way to go. And, and we can see that these days, right? It's so easy to see now how planning ahead, um, not, not just for alternative income streams, but also yes. just to have any kind of savings put aside, you know, from any source. Yes. And that's not dependent on the market crashing or anything, you know, that's exactly. like, it's stable income, but it's stable property too. So mm. tangible asset, I mean. Yeah. Uh, I, and okay, so for, 
Japan real estate specifically, what's your general strategy there? What were you looking for? Uh, what was your game plan, so to speak, portfolio structuring wise? Yeah, well, so when we decided to get into um, um, probably investment, we actually we had no sight on Japan at first. So we've lived in Japan in Kansai area between 20, uh, 2004 and 2007. And actually, uh, um, Assumption was always that uh, Japanese real estate was just out of reach. It's just too expensive for us. You know, it was we were stuck in the bubble mindset of Tokyo being, you know, um, crazy prices. But uh, so we thought we initially we invest in Southeast Asia, and we looked around and we couldn't find anything that was really worth investing into. Then, as Mira was doing some research, she came upon a blog by you. Uh, your probably your marketing manager, Pretty Donnelly. Oh yeah. And um, RE Talk Asia. That's where we found you. Okay. Yeah, so that, <laughs> so then we turned to we we looked at your website. We we looked into the property deals you had online, and I was actually uh, um, sort of the the how affordable the the deals were. And uh, as we looked into it a bit more, then it just became clear that for us that was. You know, one of the best opportunities that uh, that was in front of us, and we just couldn't believe this. How long? I, you know, that we'd missed it for so long. It was just so obvious. So then we thought, well, based on available budget, um, we'd focus on you know buying one R or one K apartments. So it's generally you know small, small single room units of sixteen to twenty square meters. And that um, already tenanted and just delivering you a good yield, so stable income, six to eight uh, percent net pre-tax, I suppose. And um, at this stage, so we're not really interested in in buying, you know, houses or condos or even commercial properties or car parks. Um, it's just, you know, the average, the uh, reliable Japanese cash castle units. Mm. <laughs> That's what we, uh, we we're focusing in, and you know, we're just going to grow the, pro- the 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 property. The property portfolio progressively just buying you know one or two properties at a time and then you know letting that uh, the the investment compound over time and gathering more rental income buying more properties and so on so when you interview us in 10 years time we'll have a I suppose you know 10 to 20 properties hopefully hopefully <laughs> um you're joking but that's what a lot of our customers actually look like these days the ones that started when we started <laughs> okay yeah, so um and any any specific reason why you ended up working uh, through us? Because we're a buyer's agent. I mean, why didn't you work directly, say, with a local uh, Tokyo Realtor or somebody, one of the big brokerages who cover all of the country, that sort of thing? Well, put it simply, you're probably the best at there. So that's kind oh, of ho, 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 <laughs> ho. <laughs> no, but uh, seriously, when, when we first contacted you, in, so that was already September 2019, so it's about six months' time. A bit longer than that. Um, it's just pretty. It was very quick to respond to us and put us in touch with you. And you just answered all our questions, you know, very effectively and very professionally. So that kind of gave us a, sort of a reassurance that you know you knew what you were doing and uh, you were reliable people out there. Which is, you know, when you find people on the internet, that's the first thing you have to to assess and determine: are these people the real deal or not? Yeah. And. Uh, <laughs> Then you organized a little investment tour for us in Fukuoka and Kumamoto. So in November of last year, so we had a bit. We had the opportunity to to meet you and and your partners, and um, it was again that was you made it um, 
obvious to us that it's just very difficult when you're a foreigner, especially non-resident in Japan, to actually get into the market. Um, even though we speak a little bit Japanese, we're not going to deal with local realtors and you know go look for properties. We don't have that the time or the expertise and really to do all the paperwork and the due diligence for every purchase. You know that's just impossible for us. So that's why you you. It was very obvious that if we were going to move, you know, into this market, we needed the help of of people like you. And as we said, as I said, you know, when we we met you in November, you just you were sounded so professional and knowledgeable about and on top of everything on the market that you were just the obvious the obvious choice. You know, look no further. That's is, uh, <laughs> That's really flattering, guys. Thank you. Um, and and also, I, last thing, you just you. You give us access to the whole of Japan, not just, you know, if you go with one realtor, you can be stuck, for instance, where that realtor is perhaps located. So maybe Tokyo or Osaka, and you have access to properties, you know, all over Japan. So that's also an added plus. Yep. Yep. Okay. So speaking of of, uh, the nationwide approach, how do you actually pick your locations? Um, Is there any particular criteria that you look at before deciding on a location or do you have a list that you came up with beforehand or how how do you actually pick the spots? Well, um, it's actually easy to answer. We just let our our budget decide. (laughs) At first, it was clear that based on the available funds we had, you know, we wouldn't go straight. We could have gone to a Tokyo or Kansai area, but we wouldn't have been able to buy as many properties as we wanted to. So we thought we'd start with, with properties in, you know, four or five million range in Fukuoka or perhaps Nagoya. And um, actually a year before we'd been to Fukuoka and we really liked the city. Now we lived in Kyoto before and we'd been in, you know, almost all the major cities in Japan, but uh, Fukuoka really stood out for us. It's just, it's dynamic, it's friendly, you know, the economics and demographics are just, uh, you know, positive and growing. So it was, it's attracting a, young, a lot of young professionals and tourists. So it was just an obvious place to, you know, start investing. Yeah, you're preaching and, to the uh, choir there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it was not going to, you know, cost us as much as Tokyo area or Osaka. But um, we've also, we also be interested in Nagoya because Nagoya is between Tokyo and Osaka and it's on, on a busy Shinkansen line and, what they're going to build the new, the future maglev, so a levitating train, I think. Yes. And so that too has a, a good um, economic and demographic outlook. So, in terms of of risk and 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 and, and price affordability, it's 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 a pretty good opportunity. And of course, we want to diversify the, the portfolios. You know, it's not about just being in in one place or in Fukuoka. Ideally, we'd have we'd like to have you know properties in every major city in Japan. So if there's an earthquake somewhere, at least, you know, you don't get your whole portfolio wiped out or even though you're insured, you know, you never know what could happen. Okay, and I guess that's that's probably another reason for not going for um, specifically Tokyo or Osaka, doesn't it? I mean, your your buck only goes so far there is one or two properties as opposed to five or six elsewhere, right? Yes. Okay. Um, So maybe... Could you tell the listeners a bit, um, don't be too specific if you don't want to, but the kinds of properties that you've purchased so far and what you're looking at for um, future prophecies, just the, the, the profiles? Yeah. So, so far we've bought um, three properties. So that was for 
total budget of about 16 million yen, uh, 1.6 million yen. And um, so it's two in Fukuoka, one in Tokyo. And they're generally there are one hour, 1K studios um, that give out between 6 to 8% net yield before tax. And just for, sorry, just for um, for listeners who are not familiar, uh, somebody who's not yeah. living in Japan, 16 million yen is about 150,000 US, right? Yeah. 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 Um, and so, to, uh, what did I say? Two in Fukuoka, one in Tokyo. And I think one of the deals you did for uh, you did a deal analysis back in November or December, I think, on one of the podcasts for the units in Fukuoka. So we're pretty pleased with that. It's it's located in in Tangent, so it's pretty central area in in uh, Fukuoka, and it's very good public ac- access to public transports and and local shops. So it's a it's it's a winner in terms of uh, location. And it's got good rental income, even though at the moment it's um, under a sublease agreement until June next year, I think. But, um, you know, we're going to end that sublease and then we'll perhaps try to do some monthly rent or, or rents that go on on a monthly basis. So that should improve the, uh, sort of the overall yield. Um, the other unit was also is a bit less central in, in Fukuoka, but it's, it's within good walking distance from a train station and it's a slightly bigger place. Had a nice setup with a, a big balcony on a rooftop, and and you know in a popular but more quieter um, residential area, and that's a, a slightly higher yield, seven point eight percent, I think. So the first one was bought for three point five million, and the second one for four point five million. So I'm not sure the current exchange rate what that. About a hundred, I think. So thirty-five, forty-five, let's say. is a Tokyo property and that's that's a whole story in itself which uh, um, it, was, it was interesting because maybe some of the listeners um, are actually uh, on your mailing list so they may remember that uh, when was this back in February you sent an, a, a deal alert for a very high yield property in the center of Tokyo and uh, that was the 1k unit a very popular residential area in Suginami yes in Juko isn't it yep yeah, yeah, with a, a yield of um, 6.6%, so I think it was 6.4 million yen, so at the time perhaps 60,000 or 70,000, is that correct? Yep. Yeah, and uh, it was interesting, I was at work when I, I saw that email, so I jumped off my seat thinking, wow, it's unbelievable, you know, 6% central Tokyo, just couldn't believe it and wanted to, you know, jump straight on it, but the problem was a day or two before we had actually just made an offer for another property in Nagoya, which turned out to be a much less uh, attractive deal, but we hadn't heard from it, so we didn't want to commit to sort of like two deals at the same time. So we didn't go for the Tokyo one, but that that evening was kind of kicking ourselves, thinking, why did we submit this offer for the uh, the Nagoya property, you know, now that this Tokyo one is available? Mm. And uh, we were a bit miffed, but... Um, I suspect when you send this email, it was actually very late in Japan. So most of the Australians, perhaps the North Americans, had already gone to bed or were still, still sleeping, sleeping in America. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but we didn't do anything on it. We just went to bed, just knew that we couldn't, you know, um, make an offer on this on this deal. And the the funny thing is, the following morning, I had to get up very early to go um, to Germany. And I woke up in the middle of the night, and I never checked my phone in the middle of the night, but I went to the toilets this time. And I, when I when I came back, I thought, I'd better check my phone just to make sure 
you know, just to check how many hours I've got left to sleep. And then there you go, you had, you actually texted me in the middle of the night asking whether we had seen that property uh, available in, in that property ah, in, in Tokyo that. and whether we were interested. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, sure, you know, at 3 a.m. in the morning, I started texting you back, back with you and then sure. And then long story short, we got out of a, a, the, the offer we made for Nagoya, uh, applied for this one. Um, in Tokyo, just because it was the same agent, so we could do that. Normally, you cannot really do that. Nira was still sleeping, so you know, totally <laughs> oblivious to the fact. Yeah. And then when I woke up, when she woke up in the following morning, I said, "No, congratulations! You just bought your first unit in Tokyo." It <laughs> <laughs> was a bit of a surprise, but uh, yeah, it's been an investment story so far in Japan. Pretty happy with what we've got, but. Um, you know, when you've got one or two under your belt, you always want to get more. So mm. now we, we're setting our, our sights on, on pubs in Nagoya or Tokyo, Osaka, see if we can get uh, good deals. And now at the Olympics have been postponed, so maybe some opportunities will will open up. Yeah. But um, it's a matter we're waiting for your next emails. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll try to send it in the data or Austria daytime at least. <laughs> Yes, yeah, the, the, the next new deal, super deal alerts for Tokyo Osaka will be on, on top of that. We'll do that. Yeah. Okay, and uh, if you bought them all in cash or, or are you... Yes. Yep. Yes, so, it's, so far it's all been cash. Um, we've looked at uh, financing, financing um, uh, possibilities with um, several dealers, of, um, lenders in, in Hong Kong and Singapore. But um, it's a bit challenging, I suppose, for foreigners at this stage still. And, and um, we're not too sure with the way this coronavirus is going, whether that's actually a good idea to to um, borrow money on, on top of it. So uh, for the moment, it's, it's, it's good to go cash. We'll see down the track if we can, you know, borrow and sort of get our cash go further. But um, just wait and see for the moment. And when, when, when things get a bit better, then perhaps we'll, we'll, we'll try to do that too. Yeah. And also financing, like you were saying, financing is still um, um, more challenging than it is in other countries, at least. But, yeah. but at least we've got the options now, right? Like two, three years ago, um, unless you were a long term resident here um, or, you know, maybe based in China or Hong Kong or, if you know, if you're super rich or you're presenting a family office, then you could get finance. But otherwise, there weren't any options available at all. So yeah. it is it is getting better. OK. And um, aside from financing which is still a bit of a challenge what are some of the other challenges or not even challenges just um things that maybe you're not used to from other countries um that are unusual here in japan that you've run across uh, yeah. during this investment journey yeah well for i suppose for a westerner you know everything is kind of challenging and, and different and unique in japan so you know it's just a normal procedure here but um i suppose that's less so for me of course because She's Asian. Now, the, the, the good thing for us is we'd lived in Japan before, so we kind of understand the culture. We kind of know what to expect, how Japanese people communicate and so on. So it's been a bit easier for us to sort of uh, adapt to this. But nonetheless, it's um, I found it quite difficult. It's the Japanese property market sort of works slightly differently from, let's say, you know, your normal Westerners market. And, and it's really in terms of tenants' expectations. I mean, for me, I would go for a much bigger place, but, you know, with totally different locations. But, of course, the Japanese tenants, they want something super central. They don't care so much about the size of it all. And 
and so on. So it was just you know learning and adjusting to sort of expectations of of the the the, the Japanese tenants. But um, and it was doing a, lot, a bit of research for us. So you thankfully have a lot of very good. Uh, I suppose uh, uh, resources. It, yeah, resources on your website, and I think you published ebook as well. So we went through this, and that helped us sort of wrap our head around, you know, how it works in Japan. Yeah, mm-hmm. if I can just emphasize, it's really important to keep an open mind when it comes to Japanese investment. Um, I think on the positive side, the Japanese tenants are more manageable. They are more yep. compliant, yep. well, relatively speaking. So probably they are less likely to make problems. But having said that, they can also be quite sensitive. So, for example, dealing with the foreign landlords may be quite a daunting experience for them. Mm. But also they may not be happy with changes, like if you make changes to the lease terms and conditions mm. or suddenly raise the rent when the lease is up, and I, I think they are first to changes. Yeah, they just move out if you do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. You learn the hard way, don't you? <laughs> yeah. I'll tell me about it. Okay. So um, I guess before we let you go, do you have any um, maybe more general um, just tips, you know, words of wisdom, advice to anyone considering investing um, here in Japan for the first... Oh, actually, not even in Japan, anywhere anywhere in the world. Imagine there's someone listening now, and there's definitely a few of those, um, who's sitting on the fence. They're not sure if and when and what they're going to invest in for the very first time. Um, what what advice would you give to a first-time investor like that? Um, yeah, well, as Julian mentioned, I am a safety engineer. So for us, or for me especially... The first and foremost is set your objectives and then know your own risk appetite because mm. everyone is different. So we, both of us, we don't invest just for the sake of investing or putting our money somewhere. So we, we've done a lot of research. We set our objectives. We know our risk appetite. And we have a lot of discussions before we make any decisions on what to invest. And we've come to the conclusion for real estate investment, for example, that Japan falls into the lower end of our risk spectrum. So we like that. Mm. Well, especially me, since I am more risk averse than Julian. But yeah, I think Japan is good for us. It's a lower risk, uh, relatively speaking. So that gives us confidence to invest and, yeah, we can sleep well at night without thinking too much about it. Unless yeah, you wake up to go to the toilet, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when everything I need in your hands and you manage and handle everything properly. So it's, <laughs> we're very safe with this. It's, uh, yeah, but just to, to add to that, I think it's important setting your own goals and, and really knowing about your risk, your risk tolerance and risk appetite because that's different from... Um, person to person and also so that once we had done that it was really a matter of trying to, to work out a strategy and how we could get you know achieve those goals and and, and really um, you know maintain I suppose a focus when you know we have setbacks or disappointments and so on yep. so and the last thing I suppose for us has been to it's it's you know being on top 
knowing what your convictions and sometimes trust your own intuitions because with the Nagoya property deal that uh, we didn't feel very comfortable about this actually and then it got us into the wrong direction and we could have missed on the Tokyo deal so what we've learned from this is really you know trust your gut feelings if you have a conviction about something then go for it you know mm. if all the lights are green then it's probably good for you to go if you know you're not so sure about it you're a bit hesitant then perhaps it's it's better to just wait and, and sit on the side and see what happened. I suppose my last uh, very important piece of advice to all your listeners would be, you know, check your phone at night because you never know. <laughs> you never know if Ziv is going to email you the next deal, great deal alert or, you know, text you. So just be alert. <laughs> that is great advice. Thank you for that. And, and I agree. And um, I really appreciate it, guys. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Okay, so Mira and Julian. Uh, thank you for being on the podcast again. Pleasure speaking with you. Um, and, you, you know, us. it's really good. I mean, you can't, you can't obviously come here for a while now, but um, when you do, um, it'll be great seeing you again. You're definitely um, yes. some of our favorite clients. Um, I'm hoping, <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping this uh, crisis ends sooner rather than later so you uh, yes. can get together to do some more whining and dining and so forth on your next visit. All right. Well, thank you very much for that, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Okay, there you have it. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation again as much as I did. Uh, I'm biased, of course, but they are pretty lovely, Mira and Julian, aren't they? And really, their experience and personal journey isn't all that different to uh, many of our clients and even ourselves. Right? We're just people who, for one reason or another, um, are a bit more internationally savvy or experienced than others. Um, we've either lived in or regularly visit other countries aside from our own uh, country of origin. So the concept of investing overseas is not alien or frightening for us, uh, which means really that the world is our oyster in a very practical sense. And rather than always play in our own familiar backyard, regardless of the season or economic cycle, we've always got our eyes open for opportunities anywhere in the world, really, as long as they make financial sense. So I hope you found a bit of yourself in their story as well. I know I sure did. And that's it from us for today. So I hope that to have that webinar uh, recreated and recorded for you for our next episode. So watch this space. And while you're watching it, as usual, we would really appreciate it if you could share this episode or the podcast generally with your own networks, spread the good word, hop over to the iTunes store or Spotify or wherever you're tuning in from and give us a quick click for a star rating or a few words of review if you've got a minute. Just help us reach more people. And until then, from all of us here at NTI, as well as from Ira and Julian in now not so locked down Austria, hope to have you with us next time. Yoshiku!